Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you to Joe for your welcome, and thank you very much to uh, Richard and his absence for the invitation and for your acceptance for me to come and share with you this morning. And we're going to look at a passage in John. We've been reading John 10, so we're going to go over to John chapter um, 17. And we're going to be reading from John chapter 17, verse 1, and then skip down to verse 6 and down to verse 19. So John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And then verse 6, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the word of truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. As we are reading through that passage, I don't know if you picked out there were three particular things that uh, Jesus seemed to be focusing on that I want to look at this morning. The idea of protection, the idea of joy, and that idea of sanctification. So as we go through this morning, I'm going to look at those three ideas coming out of the passage. So I want you to picture the scene we're not sure exactly where Jesus is when he's praying, but he's with his disciples, and they've been listening to him, dealing with a whole range of subjects. Why? Because his departure is at hand, or as another passage in Scripture talks about, his exodus, his leaving, but also the great act of redemption, which be, will be the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And shortly, the disciples are going to pass over to the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Betrayal, where is that deep moment of sadness and where Jesus prays 
Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, and remember quite recently he said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. But he stops speaking to them and he turns and I don't know if it was, but with eyes lifted up, maybe hands lifted up, he turns to heaven and he prays to his father. And the disciples are witnessing something unique, something which we only read about a number of times in Scripture, and that's God the Father, God the Son, in deep and personal communion that has been reported to us. Here is the Trinity speaking and communing together. This was the same communion that brought the earth into formation, the same conversation that brought people into, into, into existence let us make man in our own image. It was the same interaction that brought the Son to earth as Savior. It was the same interaction that was glimpsed, albeit briefly, on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus appeared in glory. And it was truly heaven coming down to earth as Jesus was praying. Then as the disciples heard him praying, he started praying for them. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been in deep distress or concern and somebody has turned and said, can I pray for you? And prayed audibly and very directly for you and for your needs. I don't know how you've felt in that situation. I'm sure you're playing, paying close attention to what is said. What would it have been like for the disciples to have heard their Savior starting to pray for them. It must have been wonderful. This was someone who knew them intimately, who'd lived and breathed with them for three years, and yet as their creator knew them even more intimately than that. What was he going to say in his prayer? How would he pray for them? What would he say if it was you? What do you think he would pray for you? We'll come to that in a moment. This prayer, which covers this passage and another passage and the rest of chapter 17 in John is sometimes referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Someone has alternatively suggested the title, the prayer of consecration. Are you familiar with the term consecration? It comes from the Old Testament where priests were set aside or consecrated to serve in the temple. God speaking to Moses said in Exodus 28, after you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint them, ordain them, consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests, setting them apart for this special task of being a priest. And here Jesus, interestingly, is consecrating himself. He's setting himself aside for service. The word that we see in the, the passage, uh, certainly in the translation I was using, is sanctify. He's set him setting himself aside for what? It's for the self-giving of the cross. I forgot about me. My, my PowerPoint was meant to be using a PowerPoint. There we go. I'll maybe get caught up with it now. So Jesus is both the priest and he's the one offering the sacrifice. And this idea of consecration is a powerful idea. If God the Son had to consecrate or set himself aside 
to do the Father's will, how much more should we each day consecrate ourselves to do God's will? I've recently retired from, I was working in the, the Baptist College for many years, I've least recently retired, and I picked up a little quote which really struck me uh, recently, where someone said, there may be retirement from secular jobs and even from Christian ministry, but God never relieves anyone from serving him just because of age. And I added another little bit in square brackets or for any other reason. Our abilities, our circumstances, our opportunities may change, but God says that we should continue to dedicate ourselves to him. And it's interesting, the priestly role of Jesus who set himself aside to be the priest who was bringing the sacrifice continues because we know that now he is the great high priest who has ascended into heaven and he holds firmly and uh, and Hebrews 4 says, therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's grace, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and receive grace to help us in our time of need. So the one who prayed for his disciples as they approached the sacrifice now as the risen glorified priest continues to intercede for his disciples isn't that wonderful so then what would jesus pray for his disciples what was he going to say as he approached god in prayer and i want to note three requests that he mentions in this particular section for his disciples the first thing that he prays for is for protection Verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, the disciples, but that you protect them from the evil one. You know, sometimes I think we can minimize the influence of the devil. We know that he's a defeated enemy. Hebrews 2 verse 14 reminds us that uh, Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil. So the devil is a defeated enemy. But we mustn't forget 1 Peter 5, 8, which tells us that he goes about as a roaring lion. So Jesus prayed for protection in our individual lives from the evil one. And Ephesians 6 reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. And as Jesus prays for protection from the evil one, Did you notice in verse 11 that he also prays practically that the disciples would exhibit unity, thereby enhancing that protection, if you like? Unity and protection from the evil one go together. Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, verse 11. They are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And I think it's sometimes which we often miss in our corporate lives as church, as a group of churches, as all of God's people, the world has its evils and its miseries, 
But Jesus prayed that the experience we have of unity together as God's people might be real. It's real in practice. He's accomplished that on the cross. But we need to pray for unity. And that will in and of itself, as we pray together, as we uh, support each other in prayer, that protects us from the evil one. That's what the spiritual battle is all about. It's not about going out and doing physical things, but it's about a spiritual warfare. Uh, when I was thinking about this, this whole idea of unity, us as a church, as churches praying and supporting each other, just as the Father prayed for the disciples, a random thought came into my mind. Some of you who are maybe my age approximately will remember all the Westerns that used to be on TV in the old days and the cowboys heading off in their wagons to the west. And whenever they were attacked, what did they do? They pulled the wagons into a circle and they defended themselves as a group. And that's what it is. Let's pray for each other. Let's draw together in prayer and pray for each other so that we can withstand the evils of the devil's schemes. And I think we can't underestimate the power of corporate together prayer. Jesus understood that. He prayed for his disciples and he encouraged them to pray for each other. Don Carson, commenting on these verses, said the spiritual dimensions of this prayer of Jesus are constant and overwhelming. By contrast, we spent much more time today praying about our health, our project, our decisions, our finances, our family, and even our games than we do praying about the danger of the evil one. We need to pray for each other for protection from the schemes of the evil one. And so maybe our prayers need to be more spiritual rather than uh, praying for other things. I came across... Uh, 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 an interesting um, story which was shared by Open Doors. It's of a pastor from Iran who was in prison, Pastor Reza. He was imprisoned in Iran and for months he was in solitary confinement. He didn't know what day of the week it was. He didn't know what was happening in the world around him. But he noticed that some days he woke up and he felt so much be better. He almost felt lighter. He wondered why. Years later, he found out that it was every Sunday and he found out that was exactly the day when many were praying for him at the same time, and so thereby protecting him. So let's pray for each other. Encourage you to join together in prayer in your triplets, in your corporate church meetings, in your Zoom prayer meetings, whatever, and pray for protection for each other as Jesus prayed. And then secondly, I want you to notice then in verses 17, he prays for dedication for his disciples. That word that he uses there, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I send them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. Jesus on earth was set apart for a life of difference. That's what sanctification is. It's being set apart to be different, a life of holiness. And he says in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That was a life dedicated to his Father's will. That would mean the cross. 
Now he prays that his disciples would be infected with the same desires, the same life choices, the same priorities that guided him. And that's how we can pray for each other, that we had have lives which are dedicated to God, lives which are sanctified, lives which are different, that we would live differently and righteously in, a, in this post or even anti-Christian world. And it makes us stand out in sharp relief. I don't know what it's like in this part of the world, but increasingly where I live in Belfast, you know, being a Christian means that you actually begin to look a little bit different from what's happening around you. It's not the sort of Christian society it once was. So doing certain things, saying certain things, going to certain places, having certain viewpoints, march you out as being really different from people around you. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, prays for us to do, and encourages us to pray for each other, that we would leave lives which people can look at and say, that is different. Those people are choosing a different path. They may not know why we're choosing the path, but they can ask us. But nevertheless, they're going a different way. Scottish man John G. Patton lived in the mid-19th century. And he announced to his church that he was going as a missionary to the South Sea Islands. And at that time, that was a place where cannibals, people who yet other people lived. And there was an elderly gentleman jumped up in the church and said, but you'll be eaten if you go there, Mr. Patton. He responded, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be led in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I am but to live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it'll make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. In the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair of your, as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. So it doesn't matter whether we'll be eaten by the press or social media. We're looking forward to a redemption when our bodies will rise. And we're called to live a life of difference, a life of sanctification. And we're called to pray for each other. You know, I don't know about you, I find that difficult at times. But if I know that my brothers and sisters in church, in my small group, in my family, are praying for me that I can live that life, then it seems so much more feasible and possible as they pray for the help of the Holy Spirit in my life. So he prayed for protection for the disciples. Let's pray that for each other. He prayed that they would be dedicated to the Father's will as he was and thirdly, and this is one which um, I think is, is wonderful antidote to many of the things which happen around us. He prayed for celebration. He prayed for joy. Verse 13 says, But now I am coming to you. This is Jesus praying to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've said here, joy is a serious part of the gospel. Joy is something which I think we don't appreciate as much as we, sh we should. We live our Christian lives not always happy, but we live our lives as joyful people. 
And Jesus was very explicit here. He says, may they have the full measure of my joy. Think of the circumstances where 24 hours, is it, before the cross, something like that? It's approaching. It's about to happen. Jesus knew exactly what was ahead of him, and that's why he prayed, if it is possible, let this pass from me. But very explicitly, he says, the joy that I am experiencing, may they experience that as well. So, another version says that he prays that they would be consumed by joy. Have you ever felt consumed by joy as a believer? Has that ever been your experience? Jesus prays that for you, and he encourages us to pray that for each other. And that's another way in which we can stand in stark contrast and stark relief to this world that we live in. I don't know how you find society, but society is increasingly negative. It's increasingly joyless. There's pleasure and there's excitement, but there's very little joy. And this is how we can stand out as Christian people in this age. It stops us being a grumpy old person. That's my temptation. It stops us being an indifferent middle-ager, and it stops us being a bored teenager because we have that joy of the Lord in our experiences. And Paul Tripp, when he was writing, said, hope is not a thing, not a location, not a situation, not an experience. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And I thought, I hope, he f I hope he'll forgive me for changing his quotation. Joy is not a thing. It's not a location. It's not a situation. It's not an experience. Joy is a person, and his name is Jesus. So let's pray for each other. As you think about the week ahead, as you think about your brothers and sisters in this congregation today, others who you'll meet during the week, others who you're thinking about, pray for protection for them from the evil one. Pray that they would live lives which are dedicated to their Father's will. Pray for joy. Pray for each other individually and corporately. I don't know if you've got prayer lists. Uh, maybe it's a thing of my generation, I don't know, but I notice increasingly younger people journal and things like that. When you write your prayer lists, why don't you put explicit prayer points against individuals? Do you know someone and they're going through a very difficult time, do they need joy in their life? Pray for that for them. Do you know of a situation, maybe a church, maybe another situation where Christians are experiencing difficulty? Pray for them for protection from the evil one. Do you know someone who's maybe drifting from their moorings of faith? Pray for them that they will dedicate themselves afresh to their Lord and Savior. Let's pray for each other. And then in some way, we're participating in that wonderful prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ as he prayed for his disciples. He prays for us for protection, for dedication, and for celebration. As we finish, thinking especially about God's protection, let me finish with a story from Ghana told by an African Christian. A farmer rested his hoe over his shoulder as he walked to his bush farm to prepare the ground for planting. 
As he returned home that night, he saw only the scorched remains of his house. So he sprinted home, heart pounding. Everything was destroyed. And in his frustration, he kicked over the scorched body of a chicken. He screamed. He raised his hands in the air to try and stop the all-consuming panic. As he sat in the deathly silence, he heard a faint sound. He stopped. Bending over, he picked up the dead chicken to find live chicks under her limp wings. It was only then he realized how the mother hen saw the approaching fire, gathered the chicks under her wings. As she sat on top of the chicks, the fire burnt the mother hen while the chicks remained safe. The Christian then said, this is what it means for Christians to remain under the feathers of Jesus. He takes the fire as we remain protected and safe. We are safe in the Father's hands this morning, even as we pray for each other. Before we sing, let's just pray together. And as we pray, let's use some words from Psalm. I'm using some words from Psalm 5, which says, Let all who take refuge in you, Lord, be glad. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Amen.